felt as though your gender has held you back in achieving the goals that you've wanted for your life, whether it's in your professional career, trying to get ahead and break through those glass ceilings, or whether it's in your personal life and you've achieved all the goals you've set out for yourself and have realized that you're not quite as happy as you thought you would be once you finally got there. Well, that's exactly what we're going to be unpacking in today's episode. So get comfy and pop your earbuds in because this is another great episode from the Get Over Yourself podcast. Welcome to Get Over Yourself, the podcast for successful women who are ready to get out of their own way and quit letting fear hold them back. You've worked hard to get to where you are, so it's about damn time you felt confident enough to enjoy it. I'm your host, Eloise Tompkins, and I've spent over a decade mastering the art of psychology so I can help women just like you stop the self-doubt spiral and learn to love yourself enough to move forward. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Over Yourself podcast. Today I am so excited. I've been fangirling as we've started this chat and I've been so excited to bring you this guest. This is someone who I have been incredibly excited to speak to because we share a lot of similar values and a lot of the work we do is quite similar. So super excited today. Um, We're bringing to you Danielle Dobson, who as a former corporate finance leader, Danielle has worked for multiple global companies across four countries in high pressure roles, including getting her hands dirty in a steel mill in Italy. Her groundbreaking insights come from lived experiences, neuroscience, and coaching more than 100 high performing leaders. Now, she's also achieved media recognition with her acclaimed book, Breaking the Gender Code, which is how I initially came across Danielle. So I am so excited to be introducing to you today, author of one, mother of three, and co-breaker of many, Danielle Dobson. So thank you, Danielle, so much for joining us. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you, Ellie. Thanks for the invitation. And I'm really, really excited about what we're going to speak about. (laughs) <laughs> Me too. Um, I, I really was fangirling though uh, initially. So um, I want to dive right into it and ask you, what are you doing now? Tell us a little bit about what you're doing with yourself. Mm, that's a great question. I guess if we sort of drill it down, what I'm helping women and men and their teams is to empower themselves to be a leader of themselves. So it's that self-leadership, which then um, has that ripple effect on, you know, team and business and beyond. So that's kind of what I'm doing. And I guess what the why behind it is that I really truly believe because I see it day in, day out, that everyone has that inner brilliance. And it is my job, my mission in this world to help them to see it, acknowledge it, connect with it and use it. Absolutely love that. And that ripple effect is so powerful because it's very much about, I think that what the work that we do, um, and it sounds like you do a lot of that work organizationally. Uh, and a lot of the work I do is more that individual, um, self-reflection work. The idea though, is that ripple effect on how it then moves outwards into the world, which is so powerful. That's incredible. And what was your journey like along the way for you? Mm, oh gosh, it's, I mean, I'm 50. I just turned 50 this year. And, and when I was reflecting on that for the speech for my uh, uh, birthday sort of you know, 
it wasn't a keynote, but it was a birthday speech. I was thinking, where do I start with this? Like, you know, so much has happened, you know, so much has happened. Like a uh, like you mentioned, so I've, I've lived and worked in the corporate world in four um, different countries. I've, I've lived and worked, uh, you know, in another capacity in, in five, you know, five. There's a fifth one because I spent time in Beijing. And I guess as a starting point, you know, because I went down there with Beijing, I actually look at my life as BC and AD. So BC before China, and <laughs> that was 2012-13, and AD after Dan, that's my ex-husband. So mm. I look at my life like that. Uh, so that sort of took me down a different pathway. Um, I just learned so much about myself. And, and, you know, I'm sure you can relate in terms of all the work you do uh, with with high-performing women or women um, of, of all shapes and sizes and genders that, you know, this, you know, internal resilience and this, you know, understanding of yourself and connecting with yourself is so sort of affirming and, and can take you on a different path. So that's kind of where I got to where I am now. But I guess tracking right back, if we think of, you know, the work that I'm doing now, everything, I guess, was leading up to this in terms of breaking the gender code and understanding more about gender. Because if I look back when I was a, a little kid, so I'm the eldest of three and I've got two younger brothers. My mum, she was one of eight and she's got one sister, six brothers. Her mum, one of 11, two girls, 11 brothers. Um, so one sister, 11 brothers. So there's so many boys and mm. men in our family along that line and my dad's line's similar. So I actually grew up in an environment where I was surrounded by men and but I enjoyed all of the things that they tended to do, you know, men and boys. So I was always outside playing footy, that's AFL because I'm from Melbourne, um, uh, playing cricket. You know, we had one TV growing up in the 70s and 80s. In the summer, it was cricket. In the winter, it was AFL. So I just kind of had no choice. It was like by osmosis. And I think of the games that I played and it was like riding bikes, building cubbies, you know, kick to kick, those sort of things. So I sort of had this, I guess, I guess affiliation with that way of operating. And then in school, it was, it was interesting. I kind of didn't see the sense in primary school of wearing a school dress, like when it was really cold, you know, Yarra Valley winters are pretty cold, you know, mm-hmm. in primary school. So I said to my mum, why can't we wear pants, you know, long pants? I said, also, it's really hard to keep the football at lunchtime when I'm wearing a dress. So she supported me in that. So she, her and I spoke to the principal, a couple other people at school, and we got pants bought in, you know. So that kind of, I guess, code breaking started back then. But the key thing there is that my mum supported me because she understood what it was like to be a woman surrounded by men and being I guess, ignored and looked over. And then also with my first Holy Communion, I didn't see the sense of wearing white, you know, lacy dresses because that's kind of typically what people wear in about grade three or grade four or something. So I asked my mum if I could wear a blue dress with white polka dots and blue suede shoes. And she supported me in that too. You look at the photo, I'm the only one I stand out there with the dress. So she supported me in that. And then also I played AFL football. Uh, from a young age. My dad was the secretary and I played in my younger brother's team. <laughs> and you know how women, like girls, tend to have their growth spurts quicker? 
So if anyone um, knows uh, the game of AFL, typically the tallest person on the side is what we call the ruck. So they go up for the centre bounce or the centre tosser. Well, that was me. That was my job. <laughs> and I remember the first ever game I played, I played for the Seville Blues. We were against Belgrave and they were Collingwood colours. And when you're in Melbourne and you understand you either love or hate Collingwood. So all I remember is this Collingwood is going Collingwood colours, the the opposition ruck player, we're, start, we're eyeing each other down for the centre bounce at the start of the game and he turns and he looks at his ruck rover and he says, oh, check this out, this is a girl, this is going to be so easy. And I don't know what happened, it triggers something really, really deep inside me and I, I thought, whatever happens, I am going to get that ball. And I did. <laughs> and that, And I think that's really what has driven me all the way along in life and it's helped me get to where I am now with my work around gender. It's not necessarily a sense of social social justice really. I think it's around fairness and letting everybody contribute and give, give their best and their strengths. And I, I guess, you know, to keep hogging the limelight here, I actually I, um, was professionally raised in the world of finance too. So and the majority of my roles, I had global roles, um, multinational Fortune 500 companies, they're in majority male, male-led uh, businesses. So that was another space that I was quite okay with. And I even, like we mentioned, steel mill in Italy. So I guess I was pretty comfortable, I would say, in those spaces and environments based on my gender code training program from a very early stage. But what happened when I became a mum? So I was in corporate America one week, became a first-time mum the next week, everything changed. My value in the world suddenly plummeted. It was it was crazy. It was almost, well, it was one week apart. And the sense of value um, that the world saw me um, as, like that, that sense of, you know, contribution from being sort of a high-performing finance person to being a mother was incredible and that is what started me on this path to find out why to make sense of it to find a better way and share it with everyone gosh that's incredible and I think having that support from a young age like as you were talking through some of that it was making me think of some of my own experiences as a young girl growing up and my experiences were definitely very different and I remember for me when I was in grade six, I was asked to be you know, grade six valedictorian and deliver the wow. speech. And, um, you know, when you're growing at school, like you said, you, you grow, you develop. And but for me, I very much hated wearing dresses for lots of reasons. But by the time the end of year six came, I'd outgrown my dress and definitely did not feel comfortable in it. It was too short, but I wasn't allowed to get a new one because it was the end of grade six. Yeah. And girls at our school had to wear the dress for the end of year uh, celebrations. And mm. Boys could wear pants. And mm. I remember kind of just saying to my parents, no, yeah, we can wear pants. We can do that. Yep. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> and my family and I rocked up to the grade six valedictorian end of year celebrations and every other girl was wearing a dress. And I was the only one wearing blue pants and the white collared t-shirt. 
And I remember my mum just being absolutely furious with me because she said, you know, she's like, how could you have not told me that you needed to wear a dress? You're the only one not wearing a dress. And I just remember the shame that I felt at that experience because I did not feel comfortable in the dress and I actually felt much more comfortable in the pants and shirt combo. And that my experience growing up was a lot of shame around being able to express my authentic self in the way that I wanted to dress. And so for me, it became about that performance of what it meant to be a woman and growing up wearing dresses and things that looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so not who I am and how I would have dressed had I have been given the same opportunities that you had to kind of Mm. tap into your authentic self. And it really does, I guess, indicate some of the, um, not only social conditioning, because my parents, my mum had been conditioned to think that, okay, this is what a girl slash woman in society should do. Mm. Um, but also the, I guess, impacts of how we're parented and how our, uh, parents can influence the beliefs and, uh, trajectories that we then develop about ourselves and how that manifests in how we exist in the world. So yeah, that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so grateful that you shared that because that is exactly, you know, part of the challenge with, you know, parents are doing the best they can with the resources they have available to them at the time. So internal resources, so what they're personally capable of, and external resources. Many don't understand the impact it's having because they've had a certain model and then they might have thought about it or thought not about, you know, what they want to do differently or what they want to keep. But they typically would default to that autopilot model you know, unless we decide to do something differently. So, and and he's, it's really interesting. I'm so glad you brought this up because when I was doing the research for the book, when I was interviewing uh, women and men um, and one, you know, transgender person, so there's about 100 people, and understanding their backgrounds and their influences because they seem to have it together. I did deliberately pick people who <laughs> I thought had it together most did in terms of personally, professionally and everything. And that came up over and over again. The strength of role models when they were younger. So this was for men as well. So the the um, the women they had in their life, the example their fathers set, and in terms of women, the same thing, the role model, the, uh, you know, male and female, And here's the thing, pretty much all of them had a really influential male role model early on. So it might have been a grandparent, an uncle, a dad, an older brother who saw in them beyond their gender and didn't see limitations but saw possibilities. So they're out there. But that is a major contributor to navigating the landscape of, you know, gender challenges. Absolutely. It, it absolutely is. And and also, I also think it is also part of our own inner strength and resources as well, because I know that for me, um, I didn't have those role models and I wanted more for my life. 
And Mm -hmm. I could have continued down that trajectory of what it means to perform as a woman in society. And I would have been miserable. I know that. Mm -hmm. And I then kind of had that choice of, do I want to keep living down that path and being miserable, even though on paper it looked like my life was, I was ticking all the boxes, or did I want to move towards my authentic self and, you know, wear the clothes and uh, things that make me feel comfortable and, um, yeah, it's really interesting, I think, as well to kind of tease apart our own choices that we get to make. And I think that's the ripple effect that you also speak to because when we do have that opportunity to reflect inwards, it can be that really powerful opportunity to then go and have a broader impact on the world, which then makes me want to ask you, you know, what was this moment that you kind of did that looking inwards and realised that you needed to as the podcast states, get over yourself? Mm, such a great question. I, You know what? There's been so many micro moments throughout the, mm. my life. The biggest one, though, is that China time, that BCAD. So that time there was the most challenging period of my entire life. So you can imagine, um, you know, well, try and imagine. So you're, you're living in a beachside village in a lovely small town where it's not very busy, you can walk everywhere um, to to kids' school, to coffee shops, to everything. The air's clean and fresh. It's, it's a great lifestyle. You've got three boys, one, three, and five. So you go from that and you move to a city that has got 21 million people, virtually no grass, it's all concrete. The air pollution is 27 times what? The World Health Organization recommended as safe. You have no agency over your life. You can't drive. You have someone living in your house that um, is a helper, which is great, but you can't communicate with. Uh, The whole reason you moved there, your husband, is never there and he's with his 24-7, 20-something executive assistant. And that's a whole reason that you moved there. You, you're made to feel like, you know, you're xenophobic, don't have any friends yet, can't go out, you know, you feel like you get ripped off all the time. This total juxtaposition there. And then what happened was there was this, there was this time where my only crutch was going to the gym. That was the only thing. So Because it, I was a personal trainer at the time then, so there's a little business I had in between everything else. Um, and, and I had an outdoor exercise, like a boot camp business. The whole time I was there, I went outside to exercise twice because of the air pollution. So, and then every second week there was some food scandal with, um, you know, polluted tea, you know, um, you know uh, vegetable, you know, oils and stuff, pigs, chicken, um, eggs, all these kind of things. Like I was like, oh, what do we eat? You know, I can't trust anything. And so, yeah, my crutch was going to the gym. And then I, I damaged my lower back. And I remember, you know, one night, on the floor, I went to the toilet and I zigged instead of zagged and I just fell to the floor, excruciating pain. No one knew that I was there it was in the middle of the night and I'm just lying there and I'm thinking, what else can you throw at me? <laughs> you know, God, universe, whatever. Yeah, what, what are you doing to me? And I realised in that moment that there was nothing I could control about my external environment. There was nothing. But what I could take control of was my internal environment and how I viewed 
the world. So my perspective, I was in charge of that, how I saw the world. So that helped me move from being kind of like a victim to like victor, like, you know, taking charge. And I realized the first step that I needed to take was acceptance, you know, accepting everything about where I was at that period of time, every decision I'd made up until that point, everyone in my environment, every sort of, um, you know, person, uh, you know, everything, just accept it. Because I decided that if I didn't accept that what I kept resisting would be, would continue to persist. So I, it was that acceptance, but it doesn't mean approval. Acceptance doesn't mean approval, but it just means I could redirect my energy from fighting reality to navigating through it. And that was a complete life-changing moment for me. And from then it wasn't, it was not overnight. It wasn't instant. It wasn't a silver bullet, but it helped me get back on this path of acceptance, of understanding myself a bit more and taking back control of how I saw things. And that I just built on that, built on that. And then I was all ready for COVID lockdowns. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say the C word. No, especially from Melbourne, my God. Yeah. Yeah. But that was kind of the, that was the big one. Yeah. That was in 2013. It's really interesting because I find that a lot of the people that I talk with, myself included, um, for me, it was a relationship breakdown in my late Mm -hmm. 20s. And I looked at that relationship and kind of looked back on that. And now I look back at that and I'm like, what were you doing? One, I was with the wrong gender. (laughs) That's a separate Mm -hmm. story in and of itself. Yeah. (laughs) But two was also, you know, like it was just the breakdown of that relationship and um, that was my kind of rock bottom and and everyone that I've been talking to on the podcast has this moment and, and I hear you on the micro moments and I think those micro moments um, do kind of come up and I think they're the things in our life that um, guide us to that bigger moment that when that mm. bigger moment comes we kind of reflect on that and go okay this is my choice point this is the moment that I get to decide and not everyone does that not everyone does that which is what I find fascinating because there's and and I see it in my family where I made that choice point to move towards something different and doing that has uh changed my life for the better in so many ways it's also changed my relationships with my family members in lots of ways as well um where am I going with this? Then I see other family members who say that they want to change and kind of um, see things that I've done and they're like, oh, I wish that I could do what you've done. And I'm like, well, you know, that actually sits within your control. You actually do have that control over it. But kind of like what you were saying, it part, part of it is firstly about that mindset shift. Um, I think that there's also more to it than that, because I think that mindset is step one and then it becomes about how can we sit with the discomfort of doing those really difficult things and changing the behavior and accepting all of the emotions that it brings up for us, which is kind of part of what you were talking about as well. Cause acceptance means kind of coming to terms with and allowing the shame, the guilt, the resentment all of some of those icky feelings that we've experienced to kind of coexist 
while still then making the choices for the life that we want to live anyway. And that's not easy for, for people. Absolutely. So true. And I, I love that you've brought up emotions because that's something that I discuss a lot with my sons and, and clients, but sons more regularly because they are, you know, teenagers, 15, 17 and 12. And I'm committed to raising, you know, healthy, adapted, you know, um, humans who are able to contribute to the lives of people in a meaningful way and primarily with respect to the heart. So something that I uh, have shared with them that I learned from my coaching buddies is that emotions, the, the feeling, the intense feelings, often they last for 15, on average, okay, this isn't everyone, 15 minutes max. So if you can navigate through those emotions, and I heard something um, by uh, the Nagoski sisters, so they wrote a book on burnout, and they put it beautifully, like you got to move through that tunnel of emotions. So you can't short-circuit it or stop it or, you know, stuff it down. you got to move through the tunnel to get to the other side. Mm, and there is another want to short. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of people do want to short-circuit it. And people will come to me and they're like, how do I stop feeling anxious? How do I stop feeling this way? How do I stop, 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 avoid, avoid, avoid? And, mm. you know, it can be quite confronting sometimes when we have those conversations around, well, you know, have you ever thought about allowing those feelings to exist? And the look on their faces is often just like, you mean <laughs> I have to feel these things? Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it, a lot of the time, and I think this comes back to, and I don't know whether this is work that you've done as well around, uh, I guess, how we've been conditioned in terms of those emotions, the work that I've done around gender and emotions is from, from both parties or all genders is that we do tend to want to avoid them. And and I think we have come at it from different ways, but the overall, the overarching essence is that we do want to avoid those emotions because um, men are kind of told that we need, they need to be tough and strong. Women are more so told that they need to prioritize other people's feelings over their own, which leads to kind of squashing our feelings and down and not knowing who we are. And at the end of the day, emotions, all they do and this is a very simplified uh, concept on something that's a little bit more complex, but all, all they're doing is communicating to us. Um, we get scared of the intensity at which we feel those emotions being communicated. But when we can kind of acknowledge, okay, these the, the emotions are just communicating to us, they're motivating me to take some kind of action, that actually helps us become more in tune with who we are, what it is that we actually need, and then being able to get those needs met. And when we simplify it into something like that, it becomes a lot more, I guess, um, easy to be accepting of them and to uh, come at them with compassion rather than come at them with that really critical view. Perfectly put. And so as you were saying that, I was thinking, yeah, you know, using them as a useful tool to make better decisions. (laughs) Yeah. Essentially, yeah, yeah. I feel like I could talk about that for ages, but I'm super curious. You know, like, um, what life is like for you on the other side, and and what tips do you have for other uh, women or people who were born female in this world to navigate through life? Mm. 
That's a really great question and a, a big one, isn't it? So, um, and just that's why I wrote the book. Just a little, <laughs> yeah. just a little. <laughs> yeah, and this is it to reach more people. So, there's only so many people I can reach through, you know, coaching and speaking. So, um, and yeah, so in, in you just, you know, I'll just let everyone know that, you know, with the book, the first half is this is how we got here, this is the history, and this is the impact that it's having. The second half is a detailed practical framework called the circle framework to actually navigate through. So that's, that's, there's a lot of detail to that. But what I'd like to share in a simplified kind of version, and it, it is very simplified, it doesn't bring in everything you were mentioning about the conversations, that is in the circle frame, framework and the difficult emotions and things like that. But I'll just really quickly share a story about um, a conversation I had with my middle son when he was 10 years old. So I was in the throes of researching the gender code and um, I wanted to, I didn't know what to do with it. I, I, it was back in 2018. I was just really frustrated. I was like, I don't know, I'm stuck. Anyway, it's about four o'clock on a Thursday in March, 2018. And my middle son and I were surrounded by surfboards, surf accessories and surfers. We're at our favorite local surf shop cafe. I'm enjoying some really nice one-on-one time. But despite my best efforts to draw Leo into conversation, he was more interested in surfing and his smoothie. But I was determined this time not to squander this opportunity for an uninterrupted chat. So I, I started sharing with him about the gender code and how I thought it was unfair and I just didn't know what to do about it. And he thought about it for a second and he, thought, and he said, Mum, is your gender code anything like the coding we do at school? Because if it is, we can change it. I said, what do you mean, Leo? So I hit record on my phone. He said, well, mum, I'm the worker person of the family and my big brother bosses me around. But in coding, whatever you're coding doesn't boss you around. I get to be in charge so I can do anything I want when I make my own code. I said, great, tell me more, tell me more. He said, well, mum, as the coder, you've got to understand how coding works because before I understood it, I was really confused. But now I can make a choice. I can decide what parts of the code don't make any sense and I can delete them. What parts of the code do make sense, so I'll keep them. And you know what, Mum? The best bit is not all code's been created yet. So I can try new things that haven't been created and create it. And so that conversation just blew me away because what I realised was that it's not just about the gender code. It's about each of our own unique code and how we choose to build it over our lifetime. Because everything about us, nature, nurture, neuroplasticity, is bundled up into our code. And we can decide what we want to keep, what we want to delete, and what we want to create. We are in charge of it. So that's a very simple framework that he helped me. So you understand that, you know, what's happening. You then decide what you want to keep, what you want to delete, what you want to create and that goes back to your family um, example as well so you've you've basically gone through that process yourself mm. keep mm. delete correct so you've gone through that process of awareness and understanding and then you've decided you've made a decision what you want to keep delete and create I and you can apply that, that to everything and you build your own algorithm where you're in charge of building the algorithm rather than all these inputs just coming to you and the algorithm being a result of that. Well, that sounds very disorganised, doesn't it? If you just let 
all of these other external things come in and, and be like, boop, 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 here's the code that you've been told should go mm-hmm. into your system. And and I'm imagining myself as a computer, like all of this incoming data, and it's kind of like, well, hang on a minute. Actually, this piece of code doesn't fit with my algorithm and mm-hmm. no, neither does that. And mm-hmm. actually, you know what, I'm not going to let these external things dictate my code. I'm going to take charge and ownership of that. And mm-hmm. that's such a great framework and it's incredible the minds of children. Like I think I feel like I was underestimated as a child quite a lot. <laughs> well, here's the thing about listening. So, you know, if if you're not listening for these things, they're never uncovered. Mm-hmm. But if you're open-minded and listening for this, like my book, my book is like littered with their wisdom, like stories of their wisdom in there, because we had these conversations where I listened to them. Uh, and also, you know, pushed for the conversation, you know, in addition to the smoothie, you know, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not not giving up on on that that desire for connection and having, yeah. you know, having those conversations and allowing that space to have those conversations, I think is really important. And I absolutely adore that listening component. And, and it's one of the reasons I love podcasting and interviewing people, because through having these conversations with incredible women like yourself, we get the opportunity to listen and to hear and to learn and to my hope is for people to then pick up these little tidbits and make those changes in their own lives so that their lives can become more fulfilling, more meaningful, more authentic. Um, Because at the end of the day, those are the, the key things I think that really make a life worth living uh, and I think that's where I think we really do share that overlap in terms of gender because so much of, of that coding does come down to, um, yeah, gender and it's unfortunate and I think the world is slowly starting to change but I don't think it's changing as quickly as uh, we think or as we would like it to but I'm so curious to see where the world goes when we're no longer here mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it'll be very different but um can you just share a little bit about where people can find your book and, and tell us a little bit more about uh, where people can find you love to so any anyone can buy my book on the usual websites so you know your Amazons your booktopias all of those you can also buy it on my website, which is uh, codeconversations.com.au. And if you buy it off my website, I uh, personally sign it, send a little message, wrap it up and post it off to you. So that's the benefit of that. I've also recorded an audio version and I have that conversation with Leo and Leo actually um, voices, is, plays himself in the, in the audio that. version. Yeah, so he's... So, and that's available all the usual audio places, you know, Audible and all the rest of those. And, yes, everything else that I do, that is on my website. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if anyone wants to send me a message on LinkedIn, that's great, Danielle Dobson. And, yeah, and I hang out, sort of got a YouTube channel, all those sort of things. So always keen to hear from people. Awesome. And that'll all be linked in the show notes for you as well so that people can easily find you if they want to check out more of the incredible work that you do. Thank you again so much for sharing your incredible wisdom, your incredible story, and 
sharing the work that you're doing to break the gender codes because the work that you're doing is so valuable and I'm sure that people who found this conversation as amazing as I have. So thanks again for being here. Thanks, Ellie. It's been an absolute honour. Thank you. Out of all of the podcasts that are out there, I am so grateful that you chose to listen to this one today. Thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It would mean the absolute world to me if you could leave a five-star review on this podcast so that we can help reach more like-minded women who also need a daily dose of motivation and inspiration to live their most authentic life. Take care and I'll chat with you next week.